Good morning and welcome to Emmet Audio. Uh, this is the last week of the May Virtual Apprenticeship Challenge where I'm going to be doing intensive podcast episodes uh, detailing the entire spoon carving process in longer episodes than typical for my podcast. Um, so in this last week we're going to cover using a hook knife and finishing the spoons. Um, so this is going to be a bit of a rant about hook knives in general and what I what I find important in them and what I don't like. First of all, in no particular order, um, I am a huge believer in symmetrical, symmetrically curved hook knife blades. Really the first time I encountered this was in the concept of a tuka cam, which is basically the idea of just having like a half circle of different radiuses, right? So you can get different size tuka cams. And generally they're done with long handles. Um, but it's also how uh, the Monadnock, Matt White's main hook knife, is constructed. And what we found is that it's really helpful to have the hook knife have a consistent curve throughout because there are times when you're cutting the shoulder, say, from one direction and you need to use just the tip of the knife and then it catches and you need to come at it from the other direction and you're going to be using just back from the tip of the knife. And if the hook knife has a compound curve such that the uh, curve changes, because of how you need to hold the spoon to get the right pressure, you're going to be using a slightly different portion of the knife, and if that radius is different from one place to the other, you're going to end up cutting a different curve into the wood with that second cut than you were with the first, and that's tremendously frustrating and sometimes can ruin a spoon, uh, especially if you don't quite anticipate that that's what's going to happen. Um, but even if you do anticipate that that's going to happen, it can be a limitation. So I'm a huge fan of hook knives that have a consistent curve throughout and that way it doesn't matter if you're pivoting on the tip of the blade and using the middle to back portion of the blade it doesn't matter if you're uh, pivoting on the handle and you scraping with just the tip of the blade it will cut the same curve both both times um good girl Maisie uh the Second thing to think about hook knives is where you hold them. I am a huge proponent of holding the hook knife choked up in your hand so that your forefinger is squarely on the spine of the blade, not on the handle at all. And your middle ring and pinky fingers are gripping the handle. The reason I find this important, come on Willa, is that uh, two is twofold. One is that um, in shifting the blade so that it's further down in your hand, it actually gets it a crucial half inch further away from your thumb when you're doing an open and closed cut. And it makes it much less likely that you're going to cut your thumb. I also don't believe in trying to exit a cut and going up and over your thumb the way some videos show. I think that that's a good way to cut a big flap out of your thumb. Don't ever do that. The other reason I choke up on the handle is because I find I have much more power that way. So much more than if I'm backed off so that my forefinger is on the handle of the hook knife. Um, 
you just have a ton more power. So <clears throat> the combination of more power and safer is kind of irresistible for me. A lot of hook knives are designed with longer handles such that you, the idea is that you sort of hold the handle in your dominant hand and then you kind of like push the back of the blade with your fingers of the hand holding the spoon. I think that's really silly and I think it's really hard on your forearm because you're essentially asking your forearm to do this awkward sort of floppy thing with your hand that flexes your forearm muscles and you just don't have as much power even pushing with your other fingers. And while it might feel safer because you feel like the you're not going to cut your thumb, uh, you, you actually, I, I would argue, end up in situations where you're struggling and when you're struggling, that's when you're not safe. Um, you know, you're struggling because you, you dove in a little deeper, but you don't actually have the power to pull through the cut. And I think that's when you end up doing something dumb and cutting yourself. Now, Tukakams are sort of in between the two because a Tukakam is largely meant to be pivoted, is my understanding, that you really, you, you pin, you, you essentially pin the blade against the wood using the middle and ring fingers, perhaps, of your, the hand holding the spoon. And then you actually, to a large extent, turn the handle, you, you know, basically pivot the handle and that pivots the blade against the wood and so it cuts on a pivot action. I'm a big believer in pivot cuts. Um, I think that you get a lot of power and a lot of control. Um, that being said, you then have to hold your arm up away from your body um, sometimes and that can be hard also. The power of the pivot cut is something that I harness with my choked up hook knife hold by uh, quite often, especially as I get past the opening cuts um, in the spoon, quite often I am moving both hands at once. So I am, I am doing a sort of a sweeping cut with, the, with the, the knife hand, but then I'm also pivoting in the opposite direction with the spoon hand. And that doubles the amount of power I get in a given cut. Or um, conversely, allows me to have the amount of power I'm using with my knife hand. And that's often what I do. I keep the same amount of power, but I just reduce the load on my knife hand. Because when you have hand strain from carving, I think it's most often due to the hook knife. I, for instance, am taking a, a slow day carving, um, and I've taken the last two days off from carving because I overdid it last week, and um, I can feel along the side of my forefinger on the hand holding the knife um, that it's just overworked. It's strained. Not like a pulled muscle, but just like um, all crunchy inside and sore. I think that's where you often feel it. And then I also think you often feel it on the back of your hand and in your forearm and wrist. Um, and so anything you can do to take some of the pressure off of that hand uh, is good. And one of the main things I do is I get a lot of my power from the spoon hand by pivoting that hand as well. Um, it's sort of, the motion is kind of like if you 
put your hands together like you're praying and then you rotate one hand in one direction and the other hand in the other direction. And in this case, the if you rotate your spoon hand so that the tips of the fingers are going away from you and you, I'm sorry, the spoon hand has the tips of the fingers coming towards you, the knife hand has the tips of the fingers going away from you. That's the rotation that I use to make my uh, extra rotation in the cut. So, uh, that's a really important thing. Let's talk about grain orientation for a second. <clears throat> Can't tell if that's a car coming down the road or not. Tough saying, they're doing a lot of work at the house, so there's a lot of machinery going. Um, at any rate, uh, one of the things that people struggle with is it sort of feels when you're holding the spoon with the bowl in your palm and the, the neck pinched between your thumb and forefinger, which is how you should hold the spoon when you're carving the bowl, by the way. You should, you should always have the bowl supported in the palm of your hand. Never grip the, the handle of the spoon in your fist with the bowl sort of sticking out because then you want to support the neck, which is now the weakest part. Um, so uh, there's a series that I did recently that show the five, I can't remember if it's on the Spoonosaurus account or not, to show the five hook knife cuts that I do that kind of help me go around and around the bowl. There's a series of five cuts and they are, I do them or slight variations on them to help me get into all the different aspects of the bowl. And they're either on the Spoonosaurus account, which would be easy to find, or they're on my account, in which case you'd have to scroll back a um, couple weeks worth of posts. Um, but it's still photos done in a series that just show these different hand grips. And, uh, and the, the common thing between all of them is that the spoon bowl is nestled in the palm of my hand and then I'm gripping the rest of the spoon in different ways, but I'm never just gripping the handle with a spoon bowl sticking out. Sometimes I'm holding the spoon bowl with, like I said, the neck pinched between my thumb and forefingers. Sometimes I have the handle pressed against my chest and I'm holding the bowl of the spoon in my palm. <clears throat> and then in these instances, my fingers are sticking way out so that I can get in there with a hook knife without my fingers being in the way. So I'm sort of, uh, aside from the fingers pinching the, the neck, like all the other fingers are sticking straight out and I'm just sort of nestling the bowl of the spoon against my palm. So then a third one that's a little strange that people often don't think about is the palm, uh, my, the, spoon is, the spoon bowl is in the palm of my hand. The handle is sticking straight towards me and I have my elbow, so I'm holding the spoon in my fist so that the the neck is coming out where my thumb is and then I hold the, the whole thing up I tip my elbow up as though uh, as though I was pointing with my thumb back behind my over my shoulder and I'm holding the spoon bowl such that my all my four fingers are gripping one side the tops which becomes the top side of the spoon bowl and that allows me and by putting it so I'm pointing with my thumb over my shoulder like that it allows me to come in with the hook knife on the bottom part of the bowl uh, from the tip toward the neck. So this is a great transition to talk about grain orientation in the bowl. You have to remember 
the way the grain flows in the bowl, it flows from the tip down into the deepest part. There's a very small section right in the back shoulder that's flowing from the neck down into that deepest part, but it's not even. It's like 80% of the spoon bowl wants to be cut in one direction, and the last 20% wants to be cut in the other direction. Um, and so a lot of times when people struggle with a hook knife binding in the cut, it's because they're actually cutting uphill in the grain. And this has to do with the fact that, let's say you're holding the spoon with the bowl in your palm and you're gripping the handle between your thumb and forefinger. And then you go to brace your knife thumb on the far side of the bowl. And you should always be bracing your knife thumb. If you're using the spoon knife in the choked up position, your thumb of that spoon hand always goes on an opposite shoulder or rim of the of the spoon bowl. And that's what gives you oppositional support to pull against. If you don't do that, then you're not cutting in a controlled way. You're trying to cut into the wood and as soon as the, exit, the knife exits, there's nothing stopping it from just going and continuing to move with tremendous speed and cutting into your hand, into your body in some way. So you always wanna be pulling towards your thumb and that thumb is limiting the range that the hook knife will have and giving you more power. So you get control and power by pulling against your thumb. So let's say you're holding the spoon in the way that I've described now for three different times. Uh, and your thumb is braced against the tip of the spoon bowl. Cause that's kind of how it feels like it ought to be. And you sort of feel like you ought to be able to get the knife going in the middle of the spoon and then pull it towards the tip of the bowl because that's a really comfortable hand position. The problem is that that position is going exactly opposite the grain and your knife is going to catch and it's not going to want to cut. It's not going to want to cut and you're going to get really frustrated. And all that's going on is that you're trying to cut the grain in the opposite to wrong direction. Just because you can hold it in a comfortable way doesn't mean that that's the way that the grain wants to be cut. So remember, in general, you want to make cuts from the tip of the bowl down into the deepest part, which is back by the shoulders, and then a little bit from the shoulders down into the deepest part. As a general order of operations, I tend to cut across, you can always cut across the grain, going from side to side, but the ridges left by those cuts will be very evident in your mouth. So, I tend to do that as an opening move to remove sort of the high bit of material in the center of the spoon bowl. But uh, I, that's pretty much the only time that I do it. The other reason it's the only time that I do it is that that open and closed across the grain cut that you see so many people demonstrating online is also the hardest on your hand because it's unsupported by your other hand. It's not getting any power from motion of your other hand. It's all it's doing. It's coming just from the muscles expanding and contracting and it's just those little muscles in your hands so if that's all you do to try and carve your spoon it's gonna really hurt you um so i felt like there was one other thing stand by stand by um oh yeah why do i carve the spoon bowl at this late stage in the game the reason is that it keeps my options open as long as possible. It allows me to adjust to any unforeseen circumstances for as long as possible. 
in the carving process. Every step of my carving process is designed to allow you to graciously adjust to unforeseen circumstances, of which there will always be some in almost every single spoon, right up until the as late as possible in the process. I want you to be able to adjust and adjust and adjust because that's how you salvage a good spoon from a crummy situation. <clears throat> so by waiting to do the bowl till last, let's say you really mess up the shoulder when you're cutting it or you really kind of get the neck in a weird way and you need to reduce that where the shoulders are and keep cutting from stuff that you thought you were going to leave. If you had already carved the bowl, you don't have that flexibility. Let's say you uh, really mess up the front tip of the rim of the spoon by cutting it the wrong direction, easy to do, and you take a big chip off of it. Well, if you've already cut the bowl, you're out of luck. If you've waited to, to carve the center of the bowl with a hook knife, then at this stage of the game, you can continue to reduce this, the, the outside dimension of the spoon bowl and sort of eliminate a lot of the problems that you may have created for yourself. But that's only possible because you haven't created that negative space by hollowing out the spoon bowl. Once you create that negative space, it locks in exactly where the spoon bowl needs to be and really limits your options. So I always wait till this stage when I know I've sort of gotten everything sweetened up. The outside of the rim is pretty nice and clean. The handle's all good. Like. I know that all other factors have worked out, and then I do the spoon bowl. I used to think I had to do the spoon bowl first because that was the riskiest thing, but as I figured out how to do the spoon bowl and not have it be risky, it got easier to put that off to last because it actually isn't the riskiest thing. Um, I was I was conflating the fact that the that the mistakes that would happen that would make the spoon bowl not work out generally often don't have to do with the spoon bowl at all. They have to do with whether I carved too much on the back of the bowl and whether I messed up the rim, whether I messed up the neck or the shoulders. Once I mastered the hook knife, uh, even a little bit, all of a sudden the carving the bowl itself became pretty straightforward. So mastering the hook knife involved choking up on it more, it involved keeping it really sharp, so go back and visit that episode, and it involved this process. So when I carve the spoon bowl, first of all, I carve it like I would dig a hole. You start in the center and you kind of keep grabbing from the edges such that the hole gets wider as it goes deeper. I don't start on the outside and work my way in because then you have this mountain of material that just gets harder and harder to engage with as you dig a trough around it. So you start in that center. I usually start with a couple series of cuts going across the grain just to reduce the material, but then I almost always switch to going from the tip back, and then I start these series of five cuts that allow me to go around and around and around and around and around, pushing outward as I go deeper. Now, once I get relatively close to the rim of the bowl, like maybe a quarter to an eighth of an inch rim left, I then take the Sloyd knife, put the hook knife down, put the sheath on it, I take the Sloyd knife and it's my last chance to sweeten up the rim. I recarve the rim with those awkward pivot cuts one last time, really trying to make them flat this time. Instead of angled slightly outward, try and make them flat. Then I go back with the hook knife 
And this time, instead of starting in the middle, working my way out, this time, because I have the hollow in the middle now, I don't have to worry about it so much. This time I start at the outside. I start at that inner rim. I basically use the hook knife to define the inner rim that I want. And I get that locked in. That way, I can switch to the final sort of finishing cuts in the bowl, which I'm going to cover tomorrow. And I don't have to worry about getting that rim right. I can just worry about getting the curvature on the inside of the bowl right. And then I kind of blend the two at the very end. But the trick is do your rough hollowing, then recarve the top face of the rim one last time with the slowly knife. Then with the hook knife, go back and do uh, define that inner rim. Now, when it comes to defining the rim of a spoon, the hardest thing to do is to carve a perfectly even rim all the way around. Because your eye will always see any tiny difference between one area and another. We're very good at seeing that as humans. Now, thankfully, a lot of times, an even rim doesn't make the most sense. And what does make the most sense, both in terms of what feels good in an eater coming out of your mouth, and also in terms of keeping the, the tip a little bit stronger, because that's what has the sort of the most wear and tear, is to have the rim of the spoon be thickest at the tip, thinnest on the sides, and somewhere in between on the back shoulders. And by allowing that inner rim to have a taper to it, achieving a nice looking taper that roughly matches from side to side is much easier. It's a lower bar than trying to get a rim that's perfectly even all the way around. So as I'm defining that inner rim, I am at the same time not trying to make it even. It's the only exceptions are when I do round forms. And for whatever reason, because of the geometrical purity of the circle, I go for an even rim. But on every single other type of spoon bowl, I do um, uneven rims. And that really helps me both in the functionality of the finished spoon and in how difficult it is to get it right. Um, and once I have that inner rim defined with just gentle little cuts. It doesn't have to be a deep, strong cut. I'm just trying to define it. Then I'm going to switch to the final finishing spoon bowl cuts, which I will describe tomorrow. Thanks for listening, guys.